May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to tell you a story that I don't tell very often, and I was really um, debating whether or not I wanted to say it this morning or not, but um, I felt like I wanted to and, and needed to, and so a story that happened to me when I was just about 20 years old. Um, I became a Christian when I was 20 in the year 1989. Uh, I might grown up in a family. We had a uh, religious uh, affiliation, but it just never took with me. I didn't understand it. It was... Um, it was like going to church was like going to Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, that wah, 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 wah. It didn't make sense. It didn't, didn't stick through. Um, but when I was 20 and Abby and I were going to get married, um, I came into contact with Jesus in a very real way, and it, it changed my life. And it was in that first year that this event took place. I came to faith in April, right before Easter in 1989, and then this was in December, so in that uh, a few months later. I've been having car problems. And, um, and I had to do the unthinkable, which was to turn my car over to a mechanic. Um, I, I didn't make much money. We were sort of struggling to make it week to week. And so I always did all of my own work. And, but this was a problem that was too difficult. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't fix it. And this was a, a record cold snap in December of that year. The, the actual temperature dropped to 14 below zero. And the wind chill made it something like 25 below. And and we didn't have a garage, so it would be out in the driveway trying to fix this, and that was just not an option. So had, you know, had the car towed, the mechanic goes a, a, a way away, but he was a cheap mechanic, so it was worth the extra money to tow him. Uh, calls me, and he says, you know, the car is ready. Um, so my two brothers, my older brother and my younger brother, uh, went with me. My older brother drove, and uh, we, we drove to get the car. I, it was about 15 or 20 miles away from my home and, and uh, out in sort of a rural area. I picked up the car, they had started up, it was running, it looked like everything was going great, all right, and so my younger brother volunteered to ride with me. My older brother did what older brothers do, he sped off and didn't even wait to see, make sure I got out of there okay. He was already back home before I ever got in the car. And so we, we, we get in the car, my younger brother Alan and I, and we take off. We go from there and we hit the interstate highway. Everything seems to be fine. And we're about five or six miles away from the shop and about 100 miles from everything else. And all of a sudden, the car starts to sputter. And I thought, oh, no. And I had to pull over to the side of the highway, and, and there it died, and it would not restart. And for you millennials, this is a real problem because cell phones did not exist. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my, what's going to happen? I tried, tried, and tried to start the car until the battery finally went dead. And I'm sitting there thinking, and the thought occurred to me, you should pray. I thought, yes, I should. And so I closed my eyes and just kind of, silently said a prayer, and the next thought occurred to me, no, you should pray out loud and invite your brother to pray with you. Now, this might not seem like a big deal to you. Maybe you would do that with quite ease, but up until 1989, I had been a really wild kid. I mean, a really wild... My mother's here today. She'll tell you. She won't tell you everything. But I was a... My brother knew that I was the furthest thing from a religious person in the world, and so for me to say to him, let's pray and do it out loud... I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little embarrassed to do that. And so I kept thinking, no, you can pray silently, you need to pray out loud, you know, that's ridiculous, you know, stop thinking that, Joe, you know, get that out of your head. And I, and I kept going on, and then another thought, a third thought occurred to me, and it was the words of Jesus who said, if you acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me in front of people, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. 
Oh, no, I thought, I have to do this. So I look at my brother and I say to him, bow your head, we're going to pray. And he looked at me like I had gained a third eye, you know, like right here. And so I punched him in the arm and I said, I said, bow your head. And he's my younger brother after all. Um, and, and I said, perhaps the world's worst prayer. I don't even remember what it was. But I said, amen. And we looked up and this pickup truck pulled over right in front of us. And I'm like, wow. And get out. And, and so we, we jumped out of the car. And we ran and opened the door to the truck, and there was this fellow who was a maybe 75-ish or so in, the, in this pickup truck, and he says, come on, guys, jump in. And so my brother got in first in the middle, and then I got in next to the, to the door. He t- hicks off, and the man says to me, um, where do you all live? And I said, well, we live in Springfield. He said, well, I live in Springfield. He said, well, where do you live in Springfield? I said, well, we live right off of East High Street on Mound Street. He said, well, I live on East High Street. I'll just take you right to your door. We're like, fantastic. And, um, and so he's driving off, and, and my brother sitting in the middle looks over top the rearview mirror, and there's this little sticker that says, I heart Jesus. And he looks at me, and he says, wow, it worked. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing, yeah. And I, the, 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 our driver says to me, well, what are you talking about? And I told him, I said, well, we were stuck, and I didn't know what to do, so we prayed, and, and you pulled over. And he said, well, you know, I'm a minister. I've, I'm, I'm a retired minister. I, I was the pastor of this church on Home Road for, for 25 years or something like that, but I've been retired, and, and now I just live there on East High Street not far from you. And I'm like, wow, that's really great. He told me his name, Reverend Johnson or something like that, and, and it, was, it was thrilling. And so he drops us off, and everything was great. And that night I was at church, and I have a friend, Bonnie, that I was talking to, and I was telling Bonnie about uh, – my adventure that day. And I said, this guy, Reverend Johnson, used to pass this church right down the street. And she said, Reverend Johnson? And she says his first name. I can't remember. I think Cecil maybe or something like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. He's kind of rotund fellow, you know, mid-70s, whatever. And she's like, yeah. And I said, he passed that church for a long time. She said, Joe, I used to go to that church. I said, oh, really? She said, I've known Reverend Johnson my entire life. I said, oh, really? Nice guy, isn't he? She said, yes. And he died seven years ago. I know. I had the same reaction. I was there. Yeah. And maybe you're the kind of person who says there's an answer. to There's a reasonable answer to this. It's a, it's a confusion of identities or persons or Bonnie was drunk or something. You know, there's some explanation for why this is being. Well, that's what I did, too, for the longest time and tried to reconcile these things in my mind. But I've come to find out, and following the Lord for 28 years now, that sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Sometimes the things that we think are impossible are not impossible. And the question is, is what are we going to do when we come to those conflicts? You're in church this morning on Easter. This is a big day. (laughs) This This is our biggest day. You know Matthew's Gospel. You heard me read it. Jesus the one everybody thought was going to rise up to be Israel's king, to sit on the throne, to lead this country in national independence, to kick the Romans out, has been dealt with harshly and cruelly. Pilate had little regard for the Jews and even less regard for anybody who would think that they could rise up against Rome. Jesus was executed for being an implicit threat against the Roman government. This Galilean preacher, peasant from this backwater town of Nazareth, he, he tried to rise up against the Roman government 
and Pilate snapped him like a twig. But that was on Friday. And in Matthew's gospel, it's Sunday. It's very early in the morning, and two women go to the tomb. They want to keep vigil around Jesus' grave. This is what ancient people did, especially Jews. But they were uh, forbidden for doing, from doing so on Saturday, so this Sunday was the first chance they got to go to the tomb. And Matthew says, as they, as they were walking there, a great seismos, a, a great earthquake, a, a shaking of the ground occurred. And an angel descended from heaven. And he says there were guards, and they took off running. They were guarding the body to make sure that nobody stole the body of Jesus. And the angel says to the women, do not be afraid, which must be a silly thing to say because they had to be terrified. He says that the one that has been crucified has risen. And so you hear it. Lots of big things. An earthquake, an angel, a resurrection. And these are big claims, aren't they? And the skeptics will look at it and say, this is ridiculous. This is way too wild, too too incredible. This can't possibly be true. And then they'll say, and if you read all four Gospels, you'll find all sorts of discrepancies. Let me give you a few of them. Um, in, in Matthew's Gospel, there are two women and one angel. Mark has three women and one angel. Uh, Luke has three women and two angels. John, one woman and two angels. But there's more. Um, in John's Gospel, uh, Mary Magdalene sees Jesus and falls at his feet. But in Matthew's Gospel, the women are walking down the road and Jesus speaks to them. There are some other discrepancies. In three of the Gospels, the stone is rolled away. But in Matthew, they see the stone being rolled away. Matthew almost seems to suggest that the, the stone being rolled away had nothing to do with the resurrected body of Jesus exiting the tomb. That's a pretty interesting thought. And the skeptics say, see, too many inconsistencies. Has to be a fairy tale. Has to be a fake. But if you'll allow me just one minute, just one minute, maybe two, to, to work through this, a few of these, you'll find out that, that sometimes the inconsistencies actually are counterintuitive. They work the other way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all admit that they receive this story secondhand. None of them were there. They all received the story from the women who went to the tomb. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. They all report, all four of them report an angelic witness or witnesses. There were angels present. They all say that the stone was rolled away, a stone that would have weighed more than 2,000 pounds, not easily moved by no matter how many women had been present at that tomb that morning. The third, fourth thing is that, um, that, that the people that were there were women, and at least one of them was Mary Magdalene. This is a really big issue. In the first century, women were not permitted to be witnesses in court. They were viewed as lacking credibility in their, uh, their accounts. They, you, you couldn't trust their, their testimony. And so women were not allowed to be witnesses in court. And all four Gospels have women as the primary, indeed, the very first witnesses of the resurrection. If you were going to make this story up, you would not make it up like this. This is not the way that you would tell a lie. What's more is all the Gospel, or at least three of the Gospel writers, rather, have access to one another's material. Matthew, Mark, and Luke clearly had access to each other's material, that they would tell things in exactly, sometimes verbatim way. There's no way they could have accidentally made it. 
So they're all telling the story the way they remember hearing it, not the way they remember seeing it, which is quite a bit different. Again, this is not the way you make up a story. The last thing is the real interesting part, and that is that Jesus tells the women, just like the angel. The angel says, go tell my disciples. Go tell his disciples. He's going to Galilee ahead of you. Jesus says, go tell, go announce to my brothers. It's a very, it's a very robust theological term. Go proclaim my resurrection. Again, if you were making this up, you would not have the first people to proclaim the gospel being women. There are people who still don't want women to proclaim the gospel, you know? This is not the way people did things in the first century. Which means if you're looking at this as a historian in the 21st century, there are two criterions that really pop out as making this authentic. The one is the criterion of dissimilarity. That's what police officers do when they go to a scene of an accident and there are people who looked at it from four different corners. If they all tell the same exact story, the police know that there's collusion going on. But this is not the truth, because they, they, they would have all had their own vantage point. The criterion of dissimilarity points to the authenticity of these four accounts. The, the second criterion is the, the, the criterion that, um, that, the, that they use terms of embarrassment, that people wouldn't have told the story this way in the first century, and yet they did. Why? Because it's true. But none of that really gets to what's the truth about the story for Christians. And that is that it's not the apologist, it's not the, scienti- not the scientist, it, it, it's not the, um, the historian that makes it true for us. It's the fact that we heard it and believed it. That it is true in here. That we have known that Christ is alive and risen because he's alive and risen to us. And that when we say these words, he is risen, we know that it shakes the very foundation of the universe. That demons know this is true. That all of hell knows this is true. There is nothing they can do to stop it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, At Christmas time, a fellow told me about a book that has been out for 25 or 30 years I have never read called um, A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. And so I read it. Um, In fact, he sent it to me. And so I read it. I figured somebody took the time to send it to me. Uh, And it's a great story. Um, It's a beautiful story. Uh, John Irving tells a story about these two boyhood friends, um, uh, Johnny Wheelwright and his friend Owen Meany. And Johnny lives in a, a prominent family in New Hampshire, a small town. And, and Owen is a, a really different kind of kid. He, he's tiny. He weighs almost nothing. Being small is not his only distinguishable feature. He has really thin gray skin that looks like it's kind of pulled too tight across his features. And he speaks with this really whining, nasally voice that almost has to shout to speak. In fact, when, when Irving writes the dialogue for, um, for Owen, it's always in all caps because Owen is always screaming it. But Owen is different. He's brilliant, and, and he's um, observant, and he's pious, and he believes in God. I mean, he's a regular kid. He, 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 um, he likes baseball cards and has a crush on Johnny's mother. But, uh, you know, he, he believes in God. He, he's, he's a real Christian. And as John grows up and he remembers his time with Owen, um, he, he, he talks about uh, the observance of the Holy Week from an Anglican perspective because John and Owen were Anglicans, which I kind of like too. And he said um, that the importance of Easter could never be understated. Let me, see, let me read you what, what John says. He says, I find that Holy Week is draining. 
No matter how many times I've lived through this crucifixion, my anxiety about his resurrection is undiminished. I'm terrified that this year it won't happen, that that year it didn't. Anyone can be sentimental about the nativity. Any fool can feel like a Christian at Christmas time. But Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a believer. And then he remembers Owen saying this, if you don't believe in Christ, if you don't believe in Easter, don't call yourself a Christian. And there's the rub, isn't it? Either Easter is true or it is not. Either Jesus bodily rose from the dead or he did not. His disciples did not go to their deaths because they remembered how great a person Jesus was. They went to their deaths refusing to deny the fact that he had risen from the dead. And they kept announcing it to everyone they saw. Alleluia. He is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.